Oh, now, from now until forever, when I wear this shirt, I'm going to be thinking about Chris. <laughs> Think about Chris and wearing a tablecloth. Yeah, right? Don't wear it to a cookout. Yeah, there you go. There you go. I'm sad he's not here because he said, well, uh, I've been told mine looks like drapes. <laughs> so between the tablecloth and the drapes, right, we're pretty much set for about anything we would want to do today. All right. Um, today's uh, title is um, Porcupines and Puppy Dogs. Huh? So I'm thinking maybe if I give you the title, because you're all spiritual of discerning, you'll have the word, right? What does that mean to you, porcupines? So what's the word going to be about today, if, uh, if it's titled Porcupines and Puppy Dogs? Oh, I have to say something else this morning don't before we... Don't let your dog tangle with a porcupine. That's, that's good. For all of you that are online, you do miss a lot of what goes on here um, in our sanctuary. And an example is when we started this morning, um, Ray came in this morning and he was dancing up a storm and he was moving all the pieces around and he was like flowing with the, flowing with the Holy Spirit and I knew there was something different in my spirit and I looked back and he's like dancing down the, the aisleway. So all of you people that are online, you may have missed that. <clears throat> and I was wondering if he was going to stop because um, he was uh, the soles of his feet started to s- smoke a little bit, you know. And I'm sure that if he continued, he would have been bare feet. So all of you online, you missed my brother, my handsome brother Ray, dancing in the Holy Spirit and inspiring us to let it go and to just run with the joy of the Lord in the day. So thank you, Ray for inspiring me to Amen. get outside of my comfort zone a little bit. And uh, I know, I know, right? Right? The tablecloth is coming back already. That's back in the 50s, yes. We're coming out of our shell. That's on the bulletin for you that are online this morning. Jackie was handing those out early, and there's a little crab that's coming out of his shell, and he's daring to go into the world and experience something new. So praise the Lord. Porcupines and puppy dogs. What's the message about this morning? Huh? When you think about a porcupine, what do you think about? Prickly and yeah. Prickly needles, yeah. No, what do you think about when you think of a puppy dog? Oh, doesn't everybody want to just go cuddle with the puppy dog and pat the dog and there's just like, they're like little babies. There's no ugly babies, right? They're all just so precious and cute until they get old, right? Until they might turn into a porcupine, right? <laughs> Praise the Lord. Well, I, I want to keep it light this morning because I, my sense is that the Lord is breaking strongholds Amen. and he is changing the way that we view the past and the present and the future. And he's setting us free. And he's causing our hearts to move in a place where he designed them to function. Amen? You know, has anyone ever been hurt? Is there one particular person or maybe two or three in your lives that whenever you see them, you just 
kind of, you view them as the porcupine. You just kind of want to avoid them. You've got, there's, there's friction whenever you're around them. There's just this atmosphere of conflict and atmosphere of, of grinding. And, you know, you just think to yourself, I, I just, I, it brings up something inside of us, right, of stay away. Brings out something inside of us that we, out of all the places where we want relationship, that's the last one, right? That person that when you're in a meeting or you're on a phone or you're sitting besides or you're partnered, been partnered with, the one that just doesn't seem possible that you could ever even agree on whether it's night or day or the sun is shining or the basic things in life because there's such conflict. Have you ever met anybody like that? One who grinds you the wrong way, and it's hard to even be around them. There just seems to be perpetual conflict, and you don't know why. I think it can be anybody, anywhere. Yeah. Many of us are making the journey from the position of the law into the grace, and that's what's so exciting. I'm starting to see the move of the Holy Spirit in the parts of people's lives to break the strongholds and to reposition the way the heart is thinking because out of the mouth the heart speaks, right? And so we can't pretend that we're somebody we're not. We have the issues in our lives and we have things that we're struggling with. They're real. They're tangible. They bring up, they, they produce emotions within us, right? But what I'm seeing is the sons of God are making the journey from the law into grace. What do I mean by that? In the Old Testament, in Leviticus chapter 24, verse 17, it says, If anyone takes the life of a human being, he must be put to death. Anyone who takes the life of someone's animal must pay restitution. Life for life. If anyone injures his neighbor, whatever he has done, the same must be done to him. Fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. As he is injured, so too will he be injured. That's in the Bible. I didn't make that up. That's the Word of God. Now, when we're in conflict with an individual and you've been accused or attacked or done wrong, or maybe somebody, there was a death in your family because of some act of violence that somebody did. Maybe you were in a car crash of a drunk driver. Whatever it is, the conflict comes in your life and you experience that in the form of anger and resentment and why. And those emotions start to rise up inside of you. What things do you think about? <clears throat> you might be thinking of restitution. You might be thinking of the fairness of the law and what it takes to make things right again. <clears throat> you might be thinking about justice. And you might quote a verse like this that says, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. What you did to me is going to happen to you. And you might be bound up inside this place of revenge. 
Really, that's what it is. Revenge. Because when we're hurt and we're suffering internally in the heart conditions of inside that nobody can see, but it is so real and it pulls on the deepest emotions. Some of the most painful things in life are emotional experiences. I've had so many accidents in my life. I've lost a limb. I lost a leg. I've had numerous broken bones. Doctors seem to know just how to put me back together under the grace and the guidance of God. Thank God. But I'll tell you, the more painful things that I've experienced are the emotional things. The bones will heal. I'll figure out how to replace a limb with a prosthesis and find a way to keep going through life. Right? And that's who we are as as creatures of God. We find a way. We find a way to keep going, even in the suffering, even in the emotional pain, even in the places where we have been done wrong and we're accused or falsely accused, we're commented on, we're made fun of, we're belittled. And sometimes we want revenge. And we find the one scripture in the law of God to justify our actions. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth, golden rule. Do one to others as you would have them do to you. And we use it in both directions, to love and to hate, right? The law was given to us for a reason. But then we also recognize that no one can fulfill the law. Why? Why? Why can't I, as a creature of God, made in His image, fulfill His law? When the Word became flesh, something changed in this perspective. It's now about the Spirit what is inside of us that really counts. It's about receiving mercy and grace. And it's about giving grace so that we can walk out what the Word demands of us. And without grace, we can't fulfill the law, we can't walk in it, because the thing that is inside of us is is not aligned with the heart of God. When we want revenge, when we want a person to feel the pain and the suffering that they inflicted on us, that's something called revenge. And it's a spirit that's very destructive. It's a spirit that comes to destroy the blessings of God, the Word of God. And that's why when Jesus came, He spoke about this very thing. He said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 43, you have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Right? He's referring to Leviticus 24, eye for eye. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. And what I'm seeing today is people are making the change by the Spirit of God 
to walk in the authority and the power of the sons outside of the perception of the law, outside of tooth for tooth, eye for eye, pain for pain, suffering for suffering, and they're moving in the law in a way that God originally intended it to be moved in. How can we possibly love our enemies and those that attack us? How can we How can we love the person that is so overtly against us to the point where everything they seem to be doing is building a case against you? as an individual. Have you experienced that before? Jesus said to love your enemies. Is this by mistake? How are we to love our enemies? It's easy to love Ray dancing because we share something in common in worshiping God in the presence of the Holy Spirit. And it's really easy to love Ray. It's easy to love JC and Debbie and Kyle because we share the unity of the Spirit. But when something comes along into your path that is overtly attacking you, I don't know about you, but not a lot of times do I feel love wanting to rise up and to bless that person. What goes on inside my heart is eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Your day's coming. Your day's coming. He said, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. So he does believe in it. But the word tells us that vengeance is his. John said... In chapter 15, verse 5, He who abides in me and, and I in him bears much fruit. Without me, you can do nothing. When we try to love out of our own capacity, out of our own understanding, our own knowledge, it's, it's usually twisted and it's usually perverted and it doesn't bear the kind of fruit that we've anticipated it that would bear. It's not about laying down and becoming a doormat because the, if, if somebody sins against you, we're taught this as a child. You touch the hot stove. Mom told you not to touch the stove 25 times. And because you disobeyed and touched the stove, there is a consequence. There is always a consequence for sin. There is always a consequence to an individual moving out of the wrong spirit. So I'm not talking about loving that individual in an ooey-gooey kind of love that just sweeps all of their issues under the carpet and doesn't recognize them. That's not love. That is not love. A few years ago, a man came and said, I was driving on the road, and a car was coming the other way, and the car hit me, and we got in a wreck. And after I got out of the car and addressed the individual in the other car, 
I understood that he was drunk. This man says, but I'm a pastor. What should I have done to love my enemies? He just totaled my car, ruined my day, and now I have to figure out how I'm going to get transportation again, and the impact was going to play out in days and weeks. And it's because of this drunk driver. I'm a pastor that preaches love your enemies. So I can imagine what was going through his mind was, well, it'll be okay. You know, it'll, it'll, this will all work out for good. You know, God, God, Romans 8, 28, right, that we heard this morning. Instead of what he did, he made a citizen's arrest. And he arrested the individual. And the cops came, and he was taken away. And the way that he explains it, sin always has a consequence. And by loving this individual in the way that he did, he chose to love him to bring him to accountability. To bring him to a place of, if I don't do this, and I let this continue, this could include a death next time of a child. This could include something even worse, like the death of an entire family. So by bringing this individual to a, a place of accountability in love, he set this person on a journey of having to admit the situation that he was in, and he placed him in the hands of accountability, which was the law, the courtrooms. And he prayed that this individual would get help counseling, and this would be, he would be an overcomer eventually in his life over the thing that captured him and held him. So I don't want you to get the wrong idea about loving your enemies and what love really is. It is not condoning their sin. It's not sweeping it under the rug and calling it something else. But neither is it revenge. Neither is it wishing harm on the individual or speaking spiteful words in retaliation. That's not it either. <clears throat> Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. You can do nothing without him. So if you try to love the one that's attacking you and coming against you out of your own strength, it's not going to work. It's not going to produce the kind of change in you or them that the law speaks about, that grace enables you to walk in. Matthew 5:46 says, "If you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you." But if you do not forgive others their sin, your heavenly Father will not forgive your sins. So we find out that the forgiveness that you receive is tied to the forgiveness that you give. And the two are not separate. The two are one. 
And if we function out of the law of an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, and revenge, and wanting to inflict a similar kind of pain and punishment on the other individual, you haven't forgiven them. And it speaks more about the condition of our heart than what was done to us. It speaks more about what is going on inside of us how we process situations, about where we are in the range of becoming perfect like Jesus is perfect. It speaks more about what is on the inside of us than it does of what is on the outside. We're in the real world though, right? We're of this world, but we're not of it. The second part of loving your enemies is praying for them. Wait a minute. Praying for them? I have to pray for my enemies? God, did you not see what they just did in persecution? In spreading lies and rumors? Did you not see what they just how they just threw daggers and knives and swords? And you're asking me to pray for them. And what I'm seeing in the realms of the Spirit and what God is doing in these days, we're about to reach Pentecost next Sunday. And if we look for the outward things, right? We look for the miracles in the newspaper and we look for the signs and the wonders in the, in the news and on billboards and on signs, They may be there. But what God really wants you to experience is the power of His name. The power and the authority of who He is. Of the strongholds being broken that have held you captive and you bondage. And that's what Pentecost is all about. It's about about releasing the Spirit of of, of God to restore the gap to restore what was wrong and what is twisted and perverted. Restoring it into a place of the original purpose and design of God. And that's what I'm seeing play out in relationships, and in our church, and in our community, and even my personal life. I've had to look at the people that were the porcupines in my life that I just avoided Because I didn't want to continue to be hurt again and again and again. And at work, I've been placed in this situation where I have to chair a committee where most people are against me. How do I demonstrate the love of God with bitterness inside? With resentment inside? How do I see God move in this situation and these circumstances with these people that are made in His image and deal with the things that are inside? And I can keep my voice quiet and even keeled. And I can control the expressions on my face. I can control my body language and they would never know 
what's really going on inside. And to me, Pentecost is here that I might experience the power and the authority of God to love a people that I could not love previously. This played out in Cain and Abel, right? They were brothers. They were born, raised up together. They were taught how to offer sacrifices by their father. And when they came to offer a sacrifice to the Lord, one was accepted and the other one wasn't. And there was such anger and bitterness and rage in one of the brothers that he killed the other brother, thinking, okay, God, you're not even going to have the good stuff. I'll even destroy that. and you, you, Take it or leave it. You can either take what I have or leave it. Revenge is a murderous spirit. But we call it something else because we wrap it with scriptures in the word of God to justify our positions when that's not what God intended. So how do we move on? If Jesus said, without me you can do nothing, And he said, if I don't forgive, then I'm not forgiven. We start thinking a pretty sobering thought process. Stephen was an individual who who the word says was full of the Holy Spirit. But he was being stoned. And when he was being stoned, he looked up to heaven and he said, Father, forgive them. How can an individual who is being murdered, an individual whose, who their life is being taken from them by the decision of someone else, murder, look up to heaven and say, Father, forgive them. They don't understand what they're doing. How can an individual that's being murdered move in love? It's an amazing, it's an amazing experience. It seems more common for people to talk about Jesus and God than it does the Holy Spirit. It's important to understand that the Holy Spirit is a person. He has a will. He has knowledge. He has a mind. He thinks and knows things. As an example, in 1 Corinthians 2, it tells us that no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. So he knows things that are divine, that are pure, that are full of righteousness. In John chapter 16, we learn of uh, two facts of his personality that are at work in our lives. In this verse it says, uh, Jesus says, if I do not go away, the helper, right, the comforter, the advocate, the intercessor, the counselor, the strengthener, the one to come and stand by will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him, the Holy Spirit, to you, to be close to you and fellowship with you. One way we learn to hear the Holy Spirit is by understanding that He has emotions. 
Did you know the Holy Spirit can be grieved? In Ephesians chapter 4, it says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God because He lives in us. When He feels grieved, when we feel grieved, He feels grieved. But we can grieve the Holy Spirit. How do we do that? Ephesians 4.29 lists some of the behaviors that cause us to grieve Him. Unwholesome thoughts, profane talk, vulgar activity, vulgar speech, bitterness, anger, wrath, clamor, perpetual animosity, resentment, strife, fault-finding. When people attack you, when people come and do wrong things to you, do you feel animosity? Do you feel resentment? Do you feel strife? Does your mind rehearse the faults that they have? Verbal abuse, malevolence. Animosity, the synonyms of an animosity are, are uh, hostility and friction, antagonism, opposition, bitterness, rancor, dislike, ill feeling. All of these things come from desiring revenge. Desiring. And you might point back to the Leviticus, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, bone for bone, kitty cat for kitty cat. You might be pointing to that. But Jesus is saying, love your enemies. You see the things... Uh, you see that these things are, are not inviting of the Holy Spirit. These are the things that grieve Him. These are the things that we position ourselves and we literally say, God, you need to choose between that person and me. He's wrong. And here are all the reasons He's wrong. And here are all the reasons that He doesn't shouldn't have your favor. Here are all the reasons that if I act in retaliation, you've got to honor it. You've got to choose between us. And that grieves the Holy Spirit because what it does is it takes the heart of the Father and He's being asked to choose between two sons. And it's a no-win situation. It can't come out that way. And the Holy Spirit starts to pull back. And the Holy Spirit starts to retreat. And the Holy Spirit starts to be quiet. Because what is overshadowing the situation is another spirit. Not the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we act like we ask the Holy Spirit to choose us over others, even though we're both made in the image of God. This is like attempting to force the Father to choose between the two children. Again, it goes back to Cain and Abel. Cain had something in his heart that wasn't quite right, that produced murder. Revenge. I'll get even with you. 
but it was impossible to love his brothers on the terms of God because all he had was the law. All he had was the law. He didn't have the grace and the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, I don't say it's impossible to, to, for him to choose rightly because God says there's always a way out. But he didn't have what we have today. He didn't have the relationship that is being offered to us today. So as it begin to close, but when you face issues, the Holy Spirit continues to work through healing and deliverance. The scripture also teaches us that he is our counselor. Always go to God and ask him for his counsel in his way of how he sees things. His word tells us that the Holy Spirit is our advocate. He is the one that pleads our case in the courtrooms of heaven. The sin doesn't go without a consequence. And the courtrooms of heaven are understanding the situation that you're in. And the Holy Spirit is there uh, praying for you and interceding for you. He stands by us. Amen. He stands by us, ready to act on our behalf when we need something. Strengthening. He gives us grace to do whatever we need to do in every single situation. One of the important ways to recognize the Holy Spirit is to become familiar with the Word of God. The Holy Spirit is never going to lead you in, a, in contrary to the Word of God. The Bible is the ultimate source of wisdom given, inspired by the Spirit of God. Meditate on the Scripture. Commit them to memory. It will make it easier for you to discern the situation through the Holy Spirit and by knowing the Word of God and having the two... Batteries are, batteries are kind of going. Praise the Lord. Just another couple minutes here. Amen. It's important to note that we have a choice in every situation to make. As we're in the season of Pentecost, some discerned that when the Holy Spirit came upon an individual, that they were drunk, right? That they were moving in gluttony and they were moving in, you know, being influenced by wine and all sorts of things. And there will be people that give you their opinion in their life, in your life. 
in every situation. But there's also the witness of the Holy Spirit that is becoming stronger and stronger and stronger because we're in a day called Pentecost of when He wants to come and do the miracles inside of us. The miracles in the hearts and speaking to the stronghold and speaking to the things that have plagued us for so many years. And what I see him, what happening is He is enabling people to love in ways that were impossible for them to love in previous days. In places and in seasons and in, in periods of time where Jesus is displaying Himself, but it's not this ooey-gooey love, everybody love everybody. It's in the reality of the grace of God. So it's important to note that we have a choice whether or not to accept the Holy Spirit's guidance. When we know the will of God and we don't follow it, we are restricting the Holy Spirit in our lives. And the desire to follow our own ways grieves Him. The Spirit will never lead us into sin and cause us to miss what the Holy Spirit is offering. Being in tunes with God's will turns us into, uh, into confessing our sin and making a habit of prayer and study in the Word of God that allows us to walk in the kind of love that Jesus offered. Is there anyone who is still afraid? I am. I'm not secure yet to be vulnerable into the people that have attacked me the hardest. But I'm trusting God that if my heart is right before Him, then all things will be turned for good. One of my favorite scriptures as I close is when I'm experiencing fear and anxiety, not wanting to be vulnerable, Want, not wanting to be transparent. Not wanting to show emotions. Men don't cry, right? Not wanting to be vulnerable in the sense of displaying weakness. My, the Scripture comes to mind, 1 John 4.18, there is no fear in love. Because perfect love drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. And when somebody is attacking you, don't you feel punished? Don't you feel attacked and belittled and like you want to crawl under a rug someplace? And then when you start to think about it, you start thinking about retaliation. Fear involves punishment. Oh, I'm... I hope you fear God, because when you're acting like that, lightning bolt's going to come down and straighten you out. What are our prayers? How do we pray for people that are in conflict with us? God, would you open their eyes that they see you for who you are? Would you open their heart and their understanding that they understand that they're fighting against you? 
Would you soften their hearts that they come to know and understand your love and the places in their life where they have been wronged and where they have been closed off in the walls of the pain and suffering that they've experienced. God, would you end it here and not allow it to be passed to another generation in their family. God, would you come and reveal the goodness of who you are holding them accountable for their actions, but extending mercy ahead of judgment. Because if they were die today, the Word tells us that there is a heaven and a hell. And no perverse person will ever be in heaven. God, I don't want them to go to hell. I want them to experience the freedom and the liberty and the newness of life. I want them to experience to be an overcomer in the stronghold of where they're operating from. And so it's not a prayer of just overlooking. It's not a prayer of just, oh, bless them, cause them to win the megabucks, cause them to find the best parking places, Cause them to get all of the sales at Walmart. It's not it. It's standing before the Father in truth of revealing who He is as you know Him and you have experienced. As you have experienced mercy, so extend mercy. Mercy doesn't have anything to do with overlooking the sin. It has everything to do with understanding the sin and seeing the destructive power of it. But choosing not guilty. Choosing to say, I want better things for you. And this is the power of Pentecost that I believe we're experiencing in the day that we're in as the Holy Spirit comes and to reveal the will of God in our lives. To deliver us from the anger and the resentment and the places where we have done wrong and to heal over so that we can operate in a higher law and on a higher order and in a higher capacity of God. You cannot do this on your own. It's designed by God to fail if you try it on your own without the influence of Jesus Christ. Without the influence and the guidance and the cooperation of His Spirit. And so as you experience those things this week, call on His name. Call on the power the authority of Christ and what Jesus' blood has done on the cross for us, reconciling us as individuals to the Father. And as best you can, pray for your enemies and desire the truth and the will of God and start declaring over them truth of love of the Father. Pretty soon you'll sense a very small piece of your own life changing. Instead of viewing the person through the porcupine, the prickly quills, and the 
the pain and the suffering of cuddling up next to them or being beside them, pretty soon you're going to feel as though the love of God is overshadowing the situation, dealing with your sin so that you can forgive them. And then a great part of the experience is you know in that moment that He has also forgiven you. That is the power of Pentecost. That is the power that's found in the Word of God that He wants us to know and understand is available anytime. Anytime. We just reach out to Him and say, Father, I'm experiencing things that are causing the Holy Spirit to pull away. God, help me. Help me to be the overcomer with all things. Live inside of me. The blood goes through these veins. I'm going to put my own emotions aside that I've experienced perpetually for most of my life and I'm expecting to experience the kind of change that love prevails. Amen. So praise God. Let me read it one more time. John chapter 4.18 There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not yet made perfect in love. We're being made perfect. Because the Holy Spirit has been sent into your life to refine and help and coach and be your advocate and pray for you and speak to God and to bring you the thoughts of God. Right? And it's through this process that you're being made perfect. It's through this process that you can bear witness, I am a son of God. Because the Holy Spirit is so active in my life, helping me walk through these things. And I can see, I'm thinking and responding differently. And that's the power of who He is. So God bless you. As we uh, come close uh, to the end now, those of you who are online, God bless. May the power of the Holy Spirit present in your day, be present in your families. May you be an overcomer all of the days of your life. May there be situations this week that cause you to rise above in the Spirit of God and see the strongholds torn down in your life. That your witness and that your confession in an outward way is God's working my life. In the name of Jesus. Amen?